Welcome to another podcast. It has been a long time since I put out the next episode, and I'm very sorry. I went on vacation. I got caught up with other things, and it's just gone way too long. And so here I am back in the Book of Romans trying to get back on track, and this is one of the most exciting chapters of the entire letter from Paul to the church in Rome. And so I'm super excited about sharing this with you. Why don't we start with a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, make some comments about the end of Romans chapter 7 and move right into chapter 8. Father, we are thankful that you have given us truth, and you revealed it to us. Uh, You didn't hide anything from us. You made it plain and open, and we can dig and study and pour over it as much as we want, and you will kindly reveal it to us. And so I pray that you would reveal this truth to set us free. Too many people, Lord, are bound up when it comes to the belief about their salvation and how you view their sin. And I pray that they would be free today because of your truth, we pray this in Jesus' name, the Lord our Savior. Amen. Well, episode 7 was about chapter 7, which uh, talks about the struggle that men have with their sin nature. Uh, we would expect that for the unsaved, But those who have been justified, who have been born again, who have uh, been changed by the Holy Spirit, we might expect that they would have less of a struggle, but that's simply not true. You see in Romans chapter 7 that Paul, a man with a love for God and a love for the law of God, had a difficult time discovering how to live out God's law. He wanted to in the worst way. He was desperate to keep it, but he found himself uh, facing an inward enemy every time he tried to do what was right. You'll find that actually in the New Testament spoken of by the apostle in uh, another uh, letter where he said uh, the flesh, which is our fleshly nature, lusts against the spirit, and the spirit lusts against the flesh. Now, don't think that word lust automatically is negative. It's simply a word that describes a strong feeling, a strong opinion, a strong passion. So the strong passion of our sinful nature, which frankly resides in our bodies, in our flesh, in the members of our flesh, that passion fights against the passion of our heart and our soul and our mind. 
And when we want to do what is good, sometimes we find ourselves doing those things that we absolutely hate and we can't understand it. We say, Lord, why am I doing this? I want to please you. I want to do what is right, but I find myself doing what is wrong. So let me read the last couple of verses in Romans chapter 7, and you'll see what I mean, and then we'll go into the wonderful, freeing truth found in chapter 8. So Romans 7, verse 21, I find then a law, a principle, a rock-solid statute, if you will, Paul says, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, Who will deliver me? Who will rescue me from this body of death? And he's talking about his fleshly body, uh, his arms, his legs, his heart, his lungs. He's talking about his fleshly body. You may not know that in our flesh lives a sin nature that opposes the Spirit of God that opposes our heart and mind when it is regenerated through salvation and wants to please God, our flesh fights against it. So when Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? He comes to the conclusion in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Jesus is the one who has saved us from this sinful nature that wars against the Spirit in our heart. So then, the very last statement in Romans 7, so then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. He he reads it, he thinks about it, he definitely wants to do it. So with his mind, he knows that he serves the law of God. But, he says, with the flesh, the law of sin. You say, well, how can that be? Because if I sin, you told me in the last episode that I am paid death. The wages of sin is death. And we we can't deny that. We can't escape the fact that when we sin, we are being paid We're being paid death, and we do reap consequences. But when it comes to the condemnation, the death sentence that was against every one of us because of our sinfulness, that has been eradicated. And we start in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who, who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law 
of sin and death. I don't want to go any further without qualifying or without describing what is taking place here. Because we are in Christ, because we have put faith in the Lord Jesus to be our Savior from sin, because we have been born from above, because we have been born of the Spirit, we stand in grace that that Jesus Christ has introduced us into. We stand before God in grace, covered by the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in our spiritual condition, we are sinless. That may be hard for you to understand, but it's corroborated in the book of Hebrews, and you'll find it all through the New Testament, that when we are saved, that is exactly what took place. Why do you think we use the term saved? Because we were on our way to a death sentence. We're not talking about simply the separation of our soul from our body. We were headed to an eternity apart from God and an eternity in the lake of fire. That was where our sinfulness was taking us. God did not want us to go there. He created hell and the lake of fire for Satan and his angels. He never created it for man. But because we listened to Satan in the garden, Adam was our, you know, the the beginning of our race, the federal head, if you will, of our race, the one who represents the entire race of humanity, through him, sin and death entered mankind. And so because we are dead men and women spiritually, we are headed to an eternal death, separation from God, an eternal torment where Satan and his angels are going. But God didn't want that. So he sent Jesus to take our place and to take our punishment and to pay for all of our sin and then to rise from the dead because he had never sinned, so death had no legal hold on him and he was resurrected. And now in the power of the Holy Spirit, he lives in his new spiritual body, which we will receive when uh, on that day that he comes to uh, catch away his church, our bodies will be changed and we'll have our new resurrection bodies in which no sin nature will dwell. Thank God, and we look forward to that. But uh, so we're set free. We're set free from condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You are free from the death sentence that was upon you. And don't let Satan tell you any different. You are no longer under a death sentence. You are free. You are on your way to heaven. There's a song we used to sing when I was growing up in church. I'm on my way to heaven where the saints are robed in white, shouting glory. And that is exactly where we're headed. We're headed to heaven. Now, I want you to understand when the scripture says uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You will, this is the new King James version. You will find in some translations that sentence 
is inserted, such as here, but there are other translations that are equally sound that do not include this sentence, uh, you know, for those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Let me continue on so that I can qualify this because I think at times people get afraid that they will not be able to walk in the spirit, that they're going to somehow slip into carnality and sinfulness and that they are going to become entangled again in this law, this principle of sin and death. But that's simply not true and, and I'll explain that in just a few moments. Verse 3, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. God, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. All right. Now, this verse 4, this statement where Paul says, the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us because God condemned sin in Jesus' body. He, you know, Jesus willingly went to the cross that cross became the altar on which the Lamb of God was sacrificed, and his blood poured out of his body through all the uh, cuts and bruises and orifices opened by the, the strikes that he took and the, the, the brutality of the Roman soldiers. His, his blood poured out of him, and puddled up at the base of that cross, well, that blood is what has washed us clean. That blood is what has satisfied the righteous anger of God against sin. And, it sa- and, and the scripture here says that because God condemned sin in the flesh, and that was legally binding on him as a just God, he had to punish sin. And if Jesus had not stepped in our place, all of us would have had to be uh, killed because we deserve it. But even though we deserve it, Jesus took our place to set us free. That's how much God loves us. And that's how much the Lord Jesus loves us. And so Jesus took our place and sin was punished appropriately and properly. In fact, you go to the, the book of Isaiah, and you will see that it pleased God to crush him. God didn't just uh, slap Jesus on the wrist. God allowed the judgment and condemnation that our sin deserved. God allowed that to crush the Lord Jesus And he died, and he went to hell for three days. But because he had never sinned, death couldn't hold him. It had no legal right on him. Satan couldn't hold him. Satan had no legal right over him. 
in fact, Jesus was able to take the keys of death, hell, and the grave, which is authority over them. Jesus was able to take that authority away from Satan and rise from the dead. And now Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. He has all authority over death, hell, and the grave. We serve a risen Savior. As the old song goes, he's in the world today. I know that he is living whatever men may say. It's a wonderful truth that Jesus is alive and we are alive because of him. And because we are in Christ, our nature has been changed. And when the scripture says here about people in Christ not walking according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, I believe that is more a statement of fact than a threat or warning to the people of God. Uh, in in uh, some chapters that we had already gone over, Paul dealt with the question of, since we have been set free from sin, are we free to just sin as much as we want? And Paul uh, stated the obvious. He said, that's absurd. He said, how, should, how could we who died to sin because that's what we did. We died to sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't want anything to do with sin. How could we who died to sin live any longer in it? So for someone who claims to be born again by the Holy Spirit and, and has been baptized in the name of Jesus and claims to belong to the Lord Jesus, for them to willingly and willfully continue in sin, and I think that's it's key there to note that I said continue, because all of us sin. The Bible says that. The Bible says that every born-again believer will sin again. Uh, in fact, John says in his letters that if anyone claims to not have sinned or not to sin, they're liars, and there's no truth in them. So we do sin, but we don't give ourselves over to sin. You see, that's the difference between someone who is born of God and the person who is not born of God. The person who is not born of God willingly gives themselves over to their fleshly cravings, and they'll, they'll practice those things. And, and many people have secret lives and, and do things that, that they're ashamed of. And you say, well, well, I'm a Christian, and I do some things that I'm ashamed of, and I would have to say, so do I. But I go to the Lord, and I confess it, and I find forgiveness according to the Scripture, and I continue on as if I had never sinned. So I'm not walking according to the flesh. I'm walking according to the Spirit because the Spirit of Christ is in me. And the same thing with you. When you are born again, the Spirit of God comes to live in you. You can't change. I mean... That is a fact. You can't change that fact. The Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And so you are in the Spirit because the Spirit of Christ is in you. All right? You may have to grow in your faith and in your self-control, your expression of self-control. You may have to mature. You may have to study the 
the Word of God that has to do with holy living and righteousness. And, and that is all part of growing up in the Lord. And, and there are some immature Christians that live as if they're not following the Spirit, but the truth is the Spirit of God is in them, and they are simply uh, behaving in a carnal fashion, and, and the Lord treats us like children. He, he corrects us. You find that in Hebrews, that the Lord, those that the Lord loves, He chastens. So that's the difference between us and between someone who is not born again. They you know, they practice what the flesh wants. We do not. We, uh, you know, we stumble sometimes more than we would like to admit. We stumble into sin, but we don't give ourselves over to it. So let's go to verse five here, and I'll begin to uh, flesh out some more reality Uh, for the child of God and the difference between the child of God and the child of Satan. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And you say, okay, well, what are the things of the flesh? You can find it quite easily in the book of Galatians. Uh, You find that the deeds of the flesh are obvious, okay? So I want you to think for a moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share what the Bible says, but I want you to think for a moment what obvious things are opposed to right living as a Christian. And just think for a moment what those are. What is the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, the very first thing listed in Galatians is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is not of the Spirit. Sex... Uh, sanctioned by God in marriage is wonderful, and God has given it to us as a gift. But sex outside of marriage, sex in any of its forms, sexual immorality, uh, it's amazing to me. Uh, I've met people in my ministry who tried to get around that uh, truth from the Scripture where it says, uh, sexual immorality, they in their mind thought, well, because sex is the joining together of a man and a woman in sexual intercourse, if I don't have intercourse, then that must mean that I'm not committing sexual immorality. And people who think that way are naive. And people who think that way are just making an excuse for their sexual immorality. Uh, Because Jesus said if a man looks at a woman to lust after her uh, as if he wants to be in bed with her and fantasizes how he would uh, behave with her, Jesus said that man's already committed adultery with that woman in his heart. And so for anyone to think that they can uh, be sexually immoral as long as there's not a physical joining, they're naive and they're foolish. So sexual immorality is one of the, the key deeds of the flesh. There are uh, there's sins of drunkenness, sins of uh, indulgence, sins of anger. I'm not going to go through all of them simply because I don't have the passage in front of me, but I want you to know that the deeds of the flesh are obvious. And 
if we are setting our minds on things of the flesh, if we are intentionally watching uh, programs on television or going to movies because we know they include sexually explicit material and we get aroused by that and we know that's what we're looking for when we go to that, we're setting our mind on the things of the flesh. And the Lord's going to have to uh, chasten us and correct us uh, if we are his child. Because that is setting your mind on the things of the flesh. If, if you are wanting to go to a party uh, because they have alcohol there and, and you, you say, well, I'm not going to get drunk. And, and, but, but your heart is after the things that go along with that type of a party and a gathering. And if you are more concerned about what your friends think and, and quote, social drinking, uh, rather than what God thinks, where is your mind? Your mind is set on the things of the flesh. So, Setting your mind on the things of the flesh means that you are following your sinful nature. But those, Paul goes on to say, but those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Like, and the way that I look at it is there there are a lot of things that I keep myself from because I want to please the Lord. Uh, You know, there are a lot of things that uh, someone might say, well, this is a gray area. No one really knows whether it's acceptable or not. Well, the Bible says whatsoever is not of faith is sin, and I've failed in that way too many times. But I, I know that whatever's not of faith is sin, and if I don't have a clear conscience, and if I'm not convinced in my mind that what I'm going to partake of or listen to or practice is um, I can do with a clear conscience— then basically I'm being carnally minded. And so I have to I have to repent of that and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And come to him for forgiveness and and grow. Um, Paul goes on to say, for to be carnally minded is death. So yeah, a Christian can, if they choose to be, if they want to be carnally minded, if they want to set their minds on the things of the flesh, they can. But Jesus has set us free from that. He's given us a new nature. His spirit is inside of us. We, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So God is in us. And that's something to bear in mind uh, regarding what we practice, what we listen to, what we watch. Uh, the relationships that we have, where is our mind? If our mind is focused on what pleases God, and uh, that involves knowing the Lord's commands and keeping them, then that's life and peace. But carnal-mindedness is death. So the person who has the Spirit of God in them, the Spirit of Christ, because the Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of God. Uh, Jesus has claimed equality with the Father. The Scripture teaches that the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus bodily. So they are equal as God. It's simply that the Lord Jesus assumes a different role 
in the Trinity, in our Godhead, and he will submit himself to the Father. They are in perfect unity. There's no fighting, no jealousy. They are in perfect unity, and their hearts are one. And so Jesus is life, and he's in us. And we simply need to follow him and follow the Spirit inside of us. It is possible for someone who is born again, it is possible for them to become fleshly or carnal. That's a a phrase that is used at times to describe a Christian that has um, yielded to their fleshly nature. It is possible, but it doesn't start out that way. We start out with this love for the Lord, this love for his people, this love for the word of God, this love for, you know, the people of God. Uh, it, it starts, you, you can't find a more pleasant, loving, pure person than a new Christian. And they're a joy to be around. But if we don't continue to follow the Spirit, if we don't continue to obey God's Word, we can become carnal. But when we're born again, we're in the Spirit of God. So we're, we're walking by the Spirit. We're in the Spirit. We're not in the flesh. So anyway, where is your mind? To be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. When you are focusing on your fleshly nature and what it wants, you become God's enemy, and you may not even realize it. You'll you'll hear a a message uh, from God's servant, and all of a sudden you find your will rising up, and you find yourself angry and, and offended and, and things like that, that's because we're struggling with our carnal mind, and our mind is, is too focused on the things of our flesh. And so it makes us an enemy of God, because a mind that is, is focused on the things of the flesh cannot subject itself to the law of God. It just can't, because it's, it's at enmity with God. Verse 8, so then those who are in the flesh, that's a phrase that Scripture uses. You may not have heard this for a while. It used to be said a lot in the church. But if a, if a Christian gets in the flesh... It means that they've yielded to their fleshly nature. Their mind is set more on the things of their fleshly nature than on the Spirit of God. Then they can't please God when they're in that kind of a condition. And so they have to be corrected and they need to repent and they need to humble themselves before God and they can be restored. Verse 9 But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, and that's what I was trying to say, if the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ is in you, you're not in the flesh. You're in the Spirit. So don't be afraid. Simply follow the Spirit. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. That's the Scripture, and and that stands to reason. If 
God's spirit is not in us. If Jesus Christ's spirit is not in us, we don't belong to him. We are not a Christian. We're not born again if the spirit of God is not in us. However, verse 10, and if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. And that's what Paul was talking about with my body. I serve the law of sin. Uh, so if, if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So you have the spirit of life in you because Christ is in you. So that is where your eternal life is. And, and that's where you need to uh, focus your heart, your mind, your, your affections, your emotions. Focus it on the things of the Spirit. Verse 11, But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Now, I personally believe that what Paul is talking about here is our final reception of our glorified spiritual body when the Lord Jesus returns to take the church away. So I believe that, that he's telling us that the Spirit of Christ is in us, the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and he is going to give life to our mortal body and when he gives life to our mortal body, that life will be eternal and our bodies will be changed from decaying mortal bodies to indestructible, uh, eternal spiritual bodies. And that's what we have to look forward to. And it's actually quite exciting because we will shine with the glory of God, the Bible teaches us. Uh, we are going to, and I believe this as I study the scripture, we're going to emit the glory of God, the light of the glory of God. We're going to emit that. When Jesus showed up before uh, John in the Revelation, he shined like the sun. Uh, because the glory of God was being emitted from his body. His face was so bright that John said it shined like the sun. And, and we are looking forward to that kind of a body, and we will shine with the glory of God. So let's move on to verse 12. Uh, Paul says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Okay. In other words, we have an obligation because of what he just said. And, and that obligation has to do with what God and Jesus have done for us. They have done so much for us, we have no obligation to the flesh. And, and, and this is something that is, uh, as I was thinking about it, uh, I'm reminded that sometimes people uh, fall into sin because of peer pressure. And I want you to know something. You have no obligation to sin because your friends uh, tell you that you need to. Uh, I realize that, that uh, you might be concerned about losing a friendship or losing a, a precious relationship. And you may feel that you have no choice in the matter but to do what they want. And that's simply not true. We have no obligation to 
to sin, none whatsoever. Uh, no matter who is asking that of us, we first of all, a Christian should never ask that of us. And if uh, someone who's not born again is asking us to sin for them, we have no obligation to do that. And you can you can state that to them because you belong to Jesus. You don't belong to the Satan and your flesh anymore. So uh, we're debtors, but not to the flesh, to living live according to it. Uh, for if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. And and that's you. You just can't uh, you can't overlook that truth. There are so many times I would love to have this idea that now that I'm saved, I'll never have anything bad happen to me and I can never fall into any problem, even if I, you know, I'm a little bit lazy or lethargic spiritually or, or whatever. That's simply not true. We can uh, now the Lord is protecting us. We're we're held in the hands of the Lord Jesus. We're held in you know doubly in the hands of the Father. So we've got two sets of hands around us keeping us. So I I, I personally believe that we're very secure in our eternal life and in our uh, justification, and we're headed to heaven. So I'm not I'm not worried about that. The only thing that that does concern me is. Could I slip into carnality? Can I, can I, uh, you know, allow my flesh to control me? And that's, it's, I don't think it's wrong to have a healthy um, concern about that so that we keep an eye on, uh, you know, the, Satan's tricks or uh, tests that come our way. And remember that the Lord won't allow us to be tested above what we're able to bear. Um, But we are tested. And uh, we want to succeed in those things. We want to cross that finish line because Paul spoke of the Christian life as if it's a race. And, And he said that he finished his course and he kept the faith. And uh, I want that for everyone out there. I, I don't want to make you afraid, but I want to make you aware that uh, we do need to walk with the Lord, and that uh, takes some intentionality. And it's not—it's uh, not a bad thing. It's actually a wonderful thing. We become more like Jesus, but we certainly have no obligation to our flesh or to sin. Uh, Because if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. So if you do give in to your flesh for a period of time, yeah, you're going to you're going to suffer some consequences. Uh, You can be forgiven and uh, and be restored. That's not a problem, but uh, you'll you'll have some consequences and uh, death will get pardon me. Death will get in there somehow. But if by the Spirit, you see, this is, this is what you have inside of you that is more powerful than any temptation, is the Holy Spirit. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So on the one hand, you can choose to live according to the flesh, but on the other hand, be encouraged, the Spirit of God is in you, and by His help, by his strength, by his guidance, 
you can put to death these deeds of your flesh. And that leads to life. It just always leads to life. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So we're living life led by the Spirit now, not led by our carnal desires. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, uh, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. If you have a a spirit that is fearful of God, and I'm not talking about a healthy reverence, but if you have a spirit that is fearful of God and you you don't feel like a child, but rather you feel like a, a servant that is under the whip of a master, then something needs to be corrected there. And I'm not saying that that you're in any kind of sin. It might be that you've been misled. It might be that Satan has lied to you. Uh, you may simply need to be taught. But we, as, as new, newly born again people, we have been given a spirit of adoption. We have not been given a spirit of fear. Uh, so there's no, we, sh- we shouldn't be trembling in our boots around the Lord as far as uh, being terrified of him. Rather, we need to re- realize that we're his children. We're adopted by our Father in heaven. Uh, in fact, the Spirit himself, verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay? Your own spirit is going to bear witness with God's spirit in you, and uh, you know that you're a child of God. And if we're children of God, then we are heirs of God. And if we are heirs of God, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. Uh, Jesus told us, the apostles told us, that uh, following the Lord Jesus Christ, there's going to come uh, suffering of some type. There's going to be Uh, some type of persecution. There's going to be some type of sorrow that we bear because we bear the name of Jesus. That's, That's simply part of it, and we're told to expect that. So don't be surprised if you are hated because you belong to Jesus Christ, if you have been shunned by former friends because you belong to Jesus Christ. Don't don't worry about that because you have made the right choice by belonging to Jesus Christ. Uh, And Paul goes on to say, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And, And that's something that by God's grace we need to grasp, that the sufferings that we endure for the name of Jesus during our present life doesn't begin to compare with the glory that we're going to be experiencing when we are uh, brought before the Lord Jesus Christ or when we are, you know, uh, taken up to be with him in the sky. So the suffering that we endure in this present time we need to try and think of it as compared to eternity, 
and the glory that's going to be revealed in us, uh, there's no comparison. Verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. All of creation is waiting for God to reveal who his children are by catching them away and changing their bodies and giving them their brand new bodies. In fact, the Bible says that is actually our final adoption. When we're taken up into the air in the rapture and our bodies are changed into our eternal glorified spiritual bodies, that is going to be our final adoption and we'll shine with the glory of God. And the the creation itself was sub, subjected to the same uh, decay as our bodies. That was the curse that came upon Adam. And that's the one thing that has not been fixed yet, if you will, by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So God was the one that subjected creation to futility, frustration, decay, just like our bodies, um, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Uh, it's, a, it's really an interesting study to discover how the creation, this physical creation, is attached to Adam. And when you think about it, Adam was made from the dust of the earth. And, uh, and the rest of creation was created in a similar way. We're all carbon-based. We all, when we, when we die, uh, animals and people and plants, we all decay and our bodies go back to the earth. So we all come from this, and so creation is subjected to the same decay and frustration that humanity is. And when the sons of God are liberated from this decay, creation's going to be liberated from this decay because according to, I don't know if it was Peter who said that, but we, according to God's promise, we look forward to a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. So anyway, Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting our adoption, the redemption of our body. That's our adoption. We're waiting for that. Our hope is in that. Verse 24, for we were saved in this hope. Uh, that's an interesting uh, statement because I don't think that's necessarily a doctrine that's been taught a lot in the churches, uh, at least during my lifetime. Uh, but in Paul's day, apparently, when they shared the gospel, they also told them to expect that one day they're going to receive a glorified body and their old body is going to be replaced by this new glorified spiritual body. And, uh, and they were, that was hope for them that, uh, that's what they had to look forward to. And that's what we have to look forward to. So 
We're down in verse uh, 25. But if we hope, uh, forgive me, let's back up to verse 24 again. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one hope uh, for what he doesn't see? Or for, pardon me, for why does one hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. So just like so many other things that have been promised to us by God, we have to be patient and wait in hope, which means we haven't seen it with our eyes, but we believe it to the point that we have staked our lives and our eternity upon it. And that's what we're waiting for. Verse 26, likewise, the spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And that's just a reminder that during this waiting period when we may have to endure suffering for the name of Jesus Christ, and we're holding on to this hope that one day we're going to be raptured and we're going to be changed. Do you know that even if we're in the grave... Uh, we're going to be raptured uh, because uh, Paul said that uh, the living uh, who are alive when the Lord comes to take his church away will not go before those who are dead. The dead in Christ will rise first. That's in the scripture. And so they'll rise with their glorified bodies. Then those who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That's in the scripture. And so we're waiting with patience. And while we're waiting... The Holy Spirit helps us during our weak times because we don't know how to pray the way we ought to pray sometimes. In fact, oftentimes. And so he makes intercession for us with groanings that are so deep, uh, you can't really utter them. And and sometimes you may feel this ache inside uh, as you are walking with the Lord and going through a difficult time. That is most likely the Spirit uh, interceding for you. And and the Bible says that God who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us according to the will of God. And the Scripture says that if, if we are praying according to God's will, we know that He hears us. Verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. And, and that's a, a precious verse for the child of God. Many of us have, uh, have used that truth during times of difficulty. We realize that no matter what we are enduring, no matter what suffering we're going through, God is working out our good through it. Verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. All right, now here's a, here's a really powerful truth that I want to make sure you understand. God knows in advance those who are his. Because to God, there is no time. Uh, he lives outside of time. God knows the beginning from the end. God knew us before we were ever created. 
this is this is an interesting truth but he knows in advance those who are his and so those that he knows in advance who belong to him he predestines to be conformed to the image of his son Jesus this is verse 29 of Romans chapter 8 those of us he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren moreover those he predestined he also called and i believe that means those who he predestined to become like jesus he called to himself to be saved and so those that he called he also justified so he justified us uh declaring us innocent and finally those whom he justified he also glorified and that's an interesting statement. I don't know exactly what theologians call that particular phrase, but it's actually declaring the final condition that the children of God will be in, the glorified state. And so Paul is saying that he has glorified us before it has happened. So uh, if you will, the scripture is predicting what is coming for us, and that is our final glorification. Then verse 31, what shall we say to these things? Because we're hearing some awesome, powerful, hope-filled truth. What shall we say to these things? Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Powerful truth. God is for us. Who can, really, who can be against us? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If God wouldn't hold back his only son from us, if he would freely give him as a sacrifice to save all of us while we were his enemies, while we were yet sinners, if he would treat us with that kind of selfless love, is there anything else that he wouldn't do for us? And you see, this helps us when we grasp these things. This helps us live for him no matter what because he gave he gave it all for us. How can we not turn around and give him our lives? Now, verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Satan has nothing to say against people who are justified by God. We're free. We're justified. God has called us innocent, and it's, it's legal because we stand in Jesus Christ. Our righteousness is not our own. Our righteousness comes from the new Adam, the second Adam. Just as the first Adam plunged all of us into sin and death, the second Adam gives us life and forgiveness. So, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, 
who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. We can't be condemned because Jesus was all, all, already condemned in our place. So we're not condemned because we are forgiven and resurrected in Jesus Christ. And he is also making intercession for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Okay, and this is, this is so precious. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And that's a rhetorical question, but answer that in your own heart. Who, can, who or what can separate us from the love of Christ? No one and nothing. He goes on to talk about what many of them may be enduring. Shall tribulation? No, that's not going to separate us from the love of God. You say, well, if God loved me, he wouldn't let me go through tribulation. Well, that's not true because Jesus went through tribulation and he is the only son of God. So are we better than Christ? So tribulation won't separate us from the love of Christ. Distress Distressing times won't separate us from the love of Christ. Persecution won't separate us from the love of Christ. Famine won't separate us from the love of Christ. Nakedness, in other words, if we're going without food, going without clothing. Peril, which is kind of like wartime or, or there's a, an earthquake that has taken place in Turkey uh, in the last few days, 12,000 people are recorded as having perished in that. And uh, that kind of peril doesn't separate us from the love of Christ. You say, well, how can God allow things like that to happen? You know, if we would honestly face the fact that uh, we as a race are full of sin and rebellion against God. And Jesus already told us that uh, uh, earthquakes and, and famines and wars and these kinds of things are going to happen. It's birth pangs just before the end when Jesus Christ will return and when the man of sin is revealed. And so it's coming, whether it comes to us in uh, the U.S. or comes to Turkey these things are going to happen. So, can sword, that's the last word in chapter 8, verse 35, sword would talk about war. Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Do you know that the followers of Jesus Christ, in fact, if you were to go to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, you would find a hallmark of faith where people were mistreated, where people went about in goatskins and in, uh, you know, threadbare. They suffered because they were people that stood for God or, or that were, and they were, they were persecuted and God allowed it. Uh, but it brought glory to him. And in Hebrews chapter 11, the Holy Spirit was certain to add to that uh, phrase about the people who suffered because of their faith, the Holy Spirit said the world was not worthy of them. 
And so I want you to know that God may allow us to suffer. And I believe he'll do what he do what he chooses to do to encourage us and to strengthen us and help us endure it. But I believe that as we bring glory to his name, he also will not be ashamed to speak our name when we walk into his courts because we uh, would become like his son Jesus and, uh, and lay down our lives because he laid down his life for us. Verse 37, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I just want to speak the name of Jesus Over every heart and every mind Cause I know there is peace within His presence I speak Jesus